never, ever used, ever. I have not even seen this passage of Scripture until early this morning. In Amos, the third chapter, this will be our fourth session together concerning spiritual warfare. We've been made aware that we are at war, that there is a battle raging, and it will not end until the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. And for Israel, it will not end until, until that last resurrection when the wife is rejoined with God in marriage right after the bride is married to Christ. Does that excite anybody yes. this morning that we are the bride of Christ? As we look at the book of Revelation three times, in the first three chapters, rather, you'll find the word church used 19 times. But after the third chapter of Revelation, when John says he heard a voice that says, come up hither and I will show you the things which must be thereafter. I personally believe that's the rapture of the church. For from that passage on, you will never find the word church mentioned again in the book of Revelation, period. Any reference to the church is the bride, uh, the marriage feast of a lamb. And so I believe that the Lord is coming back for a church that's watching and waiting for him. I don't believe he's coming back for an anemic church. I believe he's coming back for a healthy church. I believe we're getting ready to step into a season where we're going to see entire nations turn to, turn to God. I believe that. As we, have, as we have told you in the Great Tribulation, there is no mention of a great friend of Israel. There's no reference to the United States of America we will believe after the rapture there will be such tragedy and turmoil that will face this nation that a man will come on the scene with the plan. He will join ten nations together. He will make a pact with Israel for seven years. In the end of that three and a half years, he will violate that pact. Israel will run to the mountains, and then we, the church, will appear riding on white horses with swords to defeat the army of the enemy, the army of the Antichrist. Satan's going to be cast into a bottomless pit for a thousand years and fall, and we will study war no more. As we prepare for this journey that we are in, we have learned that the only weapon against the enemy is our testimony and the blood of the lamb. I got to thinking about testimony when David found himself in dire straits. His family had been stolen. Children were gone, missing, didn't know whether they were alive or dead. The men were so distraught that they wanted to kill David. They were very upset. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. I don't know how he did that. David wrote several of the Psalms in the, in the book of Psalms, and maybe he just encouraged himself by declaring, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't know what, how he encouraged himself, but he heard from the Lord. They went, took, got back everything the enemy had stolen, plus some. Look at somebody and say, plus some. The Bible says, if a thief steals because he's hungry, feed him. But if he steals because he can take risks, then he has to return sevenfold what he has stolen from you. I believe there are some here today that are in for a sevenfold return. I believe we've been robbed long enough. I've been, I believe we've been cheated long enough. I believe we've been frauded long enough. And I believe it's time that as we begin to learn the strength and weakness of our foe. Obviously, there is a strength in the last days. He will have the power to perform miracles. He will call fire down from heaven. In the book of Revelation and Daniel talks about several things that he will have the ability to do, which the occultists are trying to perfect and perform right now. But again, I believe that we, the church, are going to see that on the other side of heaven, looking down through that whatever flat screen that God has. 
the curve or whatever it is, it's going to be, it's going to, it'll be definitely in high definition. There will be surround sound. There, uh, there, it's going to be, it's going to be incredible as we watch and see as, as the Lord fulfills and promises his word. The, the message this morning or my thought or thing this morning, again, as we've looked at the enemy, we know that he comes to steal, kill and destroy. We know that he can tempt, accuse and deceive. The Bible says in the last days, many shall be offended, shall betray one another, and many shall believe a lie and be damned. We know there's a spirit of deception, and there's, I, I will not focus on a lot of the deception, but the Bible says that in the latter days, some shall come speaking in the name of God, doctrines of devils and doctrines of demons. And so we are to be aware what our word says. It's important that we know our word. There are two ways that I could spin this this morning. I'm not sure exactly how to spin it, but I found something. I read the ingredients, and these ingredients are so fascinating. I thought that I would just share some of these ingredients that, that have to do with this that I have in my hand. Those of you listening by podcast, I will tell you later what I'm holding up. But let me read some of these delicious ingredients in this container. Water. Meatballs, mechanically separated chicken, water, beef, breadcrumbs, enriched flour, Wheat flour, niacin, reduced iron, thiamine, monomonotrate, riboflavin, folic acid, corn syrup, sugar, vegetable shortening, one or more of the following, partially hydrogenated soybeans and or cottonseed oil, yeast, 2% or less, the following, salt, soy flour, whey, sodium, 2-lactate, dough conditioner, calcium, proponinite, preservative, and sesame seeds. That's just half the ingredients. Does this make anybody hungry? Is anybody getting hungry? This is what you call a MRE. Does anybody know what? Or you, not, you do not know what MRE stands for? Wave your hand at me. You do not know. Meals ready to eat. Meals ready to eat. I don't know if you've ever tried to eat one of these. It's horrible. It's terrible. It has absolutely no flavor. It obviously has some kind of nutritional value because it's got 22 grams of fat. Uh, nine grams of car- uh, carbohydrates and 10 grams of protein. So obviously there are some good things in here, but it does not taste very good. A lot of times when you go through the Word of God, it's got some great ingredients and some great stuff, but it doesn't taste all that good. And so this morning, some of the scriptures that I might share, some of the things that I, I may represent this morning may not taste very good, but it is what it is. Look at somebody and say, it is what it is. My dad taught me very young in ministry that there's something greater than a miracle. There's something greater than deliverance. There's something greater than victory. And would you like to know what that is? Never needing a miracle. Never needing deliverance. Never needing a victory. We are in a generation today, we're part of a generation today that is in trouble. It's a generation that has turned its back on God, has pursued, pursued its own way. And this passage of Scripture is found in Amos, the third chapter. And if I may bring attention to verse 12, I'll be reading from the King James, and then I'll be reading from the Living Bible, just the first half of the Scripture. Thus saith the Lord, as a shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, and I want to read, if I may, in the Living Bible, The Lord says, a shepherd tried to rescue his sheep from a lion, but it was too late. He snatched it from the lion's mouth, two legs and a piece of ear. 
I believe that the teaching today, the past two or three weeks, I believe the teaching has been to help us avoid a lot of bad stuff in our life. There's something worse than lack of knowledge. God said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. There's also wrong knowledge. I don't believe that a Christian can be demonically possessed. I believe a Christian can be obsessed. And I believe a Christian can be obsessed. I believe a Christian can go through the, the pressure of the enemy, be distracted by the things of the enemy. But I don't believe a born-again Christian can be demonically possessed. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that sweet and bitter can come out of the same river. I don't believe that uh, good fruit and bad fruit can come from the same tree. I believe that when God brings us to his family and adopts us and, and purchases us with his blood, we belong to him. And God's grace is so amazing that even his throne is called the mercy seat. How cool is that? Even his throne is called the mercy seat. This morning I posted on Facebook. How many saw my Facebook post this morning? A pit bull will always defeat a skunk, but is it really worth the stink? There are, there are some battles I believe that we're fighting. I believe there's some things we're involved in. I don't think we, we need to be involved in those things. I believe that God has a reason for this word and the contents of this word. If you'll go with me to Ephesians 6, the guys are going to try to help me this morning. I thought what we would do just for a few minutes just walk through, because since it's all family here today, and we have part of our family out ministering somewhere, I want to bring attention to Ephesians 6. I'm going to read, and they'll probably have it on the overhead in just a minute, verse 10 through verse 18. Ironically, the Apostle Paul attempts to conclude a letter, and he uses the word finally, and then he shares some of those awesome, incredible, phenomenal uh, findings that you could literally spend weeks, months, years studying just this passage of Scripture. And certainly several books have been written concerning spiritual warfare, a lot being said about the armor of God. The thought or message this morning would be entitled, Dress to Kill. That's for the sound guys. They can put that on podcast this morning. Dress to Kill, Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Notice twice we're encouraged to take all the armor, not just part of it. The whole armor of God that you may withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherein you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Here we are told very clearly how to armor ourselves, how to dress ourselves, how to prepare for the battle that we obviously are engaged in. Everybody's armor is not the same. When David went to defeat Goliath, uh, Saul wanted David to wear his armor. But obviously, David's 17-year-old boy, uh, Saul was over six foot. Obviously, the armor of a six-foot man would not fit that of a teenage child. So we're not to be lumped together and always try to look like somebody else or talk like somebody else or speak like somebody else. God makes this armor custom made to fit us for the battle that we are enduring. We talked Sunday 
about new levels, new devils. Every time you grow in the Lord and you mature in the Lord, there are different levels of principalities and powers that you will, that you will come against. And those things that tried to trip you up when you were a baby Christian are not the same things that will try to trip you up now. It gets deeper. It gets more involved. It gets more intense. You are aware that when Daniel prayed and had a dream, and the dream that Daniel had 3,000 years ago had to do with 2014. It was a prophecy concerning our generation. He had a dream, did not understand the interpretation, and Daniel was one that interpreted dreams. He began to fast and pray. You know the story. He fasted for 21 days. Gabriel came to Daniel and said, the first minute you prayed, God gave me the revelation, and I have been struggling for the past. I've been warring with the prince of the power of the air, and I have been warring for 21 days. So I went back to heaven. I got the war angel, Michael. He's taken on Lucifer while I'm bringing you this revelation. So we know that we are at war. There is a battle. Daniel also tells us in Daniel 7 and 25, the number one attack of the enemy in the last days will be to try to wear out the saints of the Most High God. And I don't know if you, if you know what it feels like to be worn out. Can anybody relate? One day this week, I got on a riding lawnmower, did not get off it for four hours. I mowed the entire five acres without stopping. I didn't get off to get a drink of water. I didn't get off to check my phone. I just wanted to get it done, get it out of the way. And while I was on that mower, I got bit by two bumblebees, a wasp, and two horse flies, but I survived. I got sunburned. I survived. But when I got off that mower, every bone in my body said pain. <laughs> Can anybody relate? That's what happens when you physically wear out your body. I believe that spiritually the enemy wants to try his best to frustrate us, discourage us, depress us, and hope today some of this teaching will help us in the areas of war that we have encountered. Something that we learn about the word, I just want, I want to take right off and talk about the word wrestle, where it says that we wrestle not. It's not a physical battle or a physical war. It's not about automatic weapons or nuclear warfare or hand grenades or bullets or machetes or knives. It is a spiritual battle that usually takes place in the mind. That word wrestle is pele, and it, it literally means a bitter struggle or intense conflict. As you begin to look at the games the Romans played, the gladiators, when they entered into that arena, this is the same word here, the same word used for wrestle. This, this word actually means there are no rules, there's no umpire, there's no referee, there's no timeout. All, all is fair in war and play. When we get in battle with the enemy, there are no ground rules that he follows. He will cheat. He will lie. He will deceive. He'll manipulate. He'll do everything he can to discourage you, to burn you out, to wear you out. But aren't you glad the Word of God says that he has dressed us for this battle, and we today are dressed not to just show how spiritual we are or how knowledgeable we are, but we are dressed to go to war and put a serious dent in the enemy's armor. Do I have a friend in the house? Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? As we learned, and we have learned over and over again, but reiterated Wednesday night, that seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of perfection. The, the armor that God has given us is sevenfold. It's in seven pieces. You don't have to write these down. They're obviously pretty basic. First of all, there is the helmet that protects the head. There's the breastplate that protects the heart. There's the, lo there's the, there's the loins that protects our sexual purity. There are shoes that protect our journey. There are shields that protect our faith. The helmet 
is all about being saved. When you know in your knower that you're born again and, and, and God is in you and dwells in you and going to live with you and that you're going to one day spend eternity in the presence of God, that's what it means to be saved. You are not in the process of being saved. You are saved. When you pray the sinner's prayer, ask Christ into your heart, denounce your sin, and try to live to the best of your ability to the guidelines found in this book, you're ready for the rapture. Look at someone and say, I am rapture-proof. I am ready for the rapture. That's all about the helmet. The breastplate has everything to do with righteousness, which we know to be equity of character. There should be some kind of transition, and there should be some kind of change. Hopefully, for the last 35 years that I've been serving the Lord, hopefully I've grown a little bit. Hopefully I've matured a little bit. Hopefully I know a little bit more than I knew 35 years ago. Hopefully I have, hopefully I have accomplished some things in the kingdom. So all about equity of character, hopefully I'm a better person today than I was 35 years ago. And as you begin to look at the growth, the purpose of the growth, the word of God, that you are a tree planted by the water, that you're supposed to bring forth good fruit in your season. This is a seasonal journey. And hopefully in this journey we have grown and we have developed what's called equity of character. There's a song that says, don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. How many can relate? It's a better road. It's a better way. It's a better journey. It's a better time in our life. When I look back 35 years ago, someone said, well, I want to sow some wild oats. I want to have a good time. I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, I don't remember a whole lot of good times. I don't remember a whole lot of of wonderful moments. I remember hugging a toilet all night long. I remember waking up, forgetting where I parked my car. I only learned that I didn't have a car. I lost it in a drug deal. I mean, when I think about when I think about the stuff I put in my body to try to find some kind of peace and some kind of joy, I detest that life. I, there's nothing about that life that I that I want to be a part of my life. I don't want anything to do with it. I've not had a drink in 35 years. I've not put illegal drugs in my body in 35 years, and I want to stay that way the next 35 years. Can anybody relate? So there should be some kind of growth. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. God protects our mind. With a helmet, God protects our heart. With a breastplate of righteousness, there should be a change in our character. It's called sanctification. It's called justification. It meant the word justification means just as if I have never failed. It's a new slate. The blood of Jesus wipes the old slate clean and gives us a brand new opportunity to do brand new things in our life. Does that excite anybody in the building that old things are passed away, all things are become new? Third piece of arm. The third piece of armor that we have is that our loins are covered. And this addresses sexual purity. This talks about the two becoming one. It was God that created sex. It was God that created marriage. And God said it's good that, that man would not be alone, that he would have a companion, and that he would be to enjoy that wife of his youth. So I have a friend in the building that would say, thank God for marriage. Amen. Three of us, thanks. Your shoes represent your journey. The path that you're on, the tread that you're walking, the, the, the way you're walking. The word says, this is the way, walk ye in it. The Bible says that the word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. You should be going somewhere in this journey. You should be accomplishing some things in this journey. You should be growing. You should be maturing. You should be attracting things. There should be some changes in your life because you're walking where God wants you to walk. And then the, the next piece of armor is our shield. This is our shield of faith. Faith just simply represents the things that we believe in. It's important. That, am I talking too fast? 
My God, I feel like I'm talking fast. It's important that you know what you believe in. We believe the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God. It was written by men. There are grammatical mistakes. There are narrative mistakes, but it is divine. It's holy. What the word says, we believe. Someone said, what kind of church are you? I said, we're a church. We believe everything the Bible has to say. If the Bible says there's a heaven, we believe there's a heaven. If the Bible says there's a hell, we believe there's a hell. If the Bible says there are miracles, we believe there are miracles. Anything the enemy throws against us, we need to know this word of God enough so that our faith is protected by our shield. Do I have a friend in the house this morning? So when the enemy says you're not going to make it, the word says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. When the enemy says, you're broke, you're out of money, the word says, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. When the enemy says, you're alone, you're abandoned, my word says, he will never leave me and forsake me even until the end of the world. When the enemy says, you're a failure, you're a loser, you'll never accomplish, his word says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It, I'm, and, and the but what the word even declares is that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Does that encourage anybody in the house? But if you don't know, if you don't know what your word says about you, then the enemy will jerk you around. The Bible says he'll put a hook in your nose and jerk you around and lead, lead, lead you like a crocodile in ca captivity. I don't want any hook in my nose. I don't want to be dragged around for my unbelief or lack of knowledge. I would have studied to show myself approved according to this book right here. I want to know what this word has to say. Does that help anybody in the building? As we dress ourselves with five pieces of, of armor, we only have two weapons. We have a spear and we have a sword. I've always felt like that the spear, which represents long range, I've always felt like the spear represented worship. I've always felt that that was our, our connection to get to God is through our worship. The sword obviously represents three things, the word of God, our praise, and our prayer. Something about the sword is a close-range weapon. It defeats the enemies at hand. I believe that our, I believe as two or three of us begin to horizontally begin to praise and worship God. I believe not only do demons have to flee, but there's victory, there's deliverance, there's freedom in the house. And as you and I begin to agree how great God is, we take and lay that, that sword down and pick up that spear and we toss in the heavenlies and there's a door that opens and you'll see the horizontal door of praise and you'll see the vertical, the vertical, the vertical, the, the line of, of worship, and all of a sudden there's a cross, and they shout the cross. We go in the presence of God. Heaven comes down, kisses the earth, and we get caught in the smack. Does that excite anybody in the house this morning? So we have a spear of worship. We have a sword of prayer, praise, and the word. And what is so ironic to me is that when we clothe ourselves with our armor, we're not supposed to fight another denomination. We're not supposed to fight another ministry. We're not supposed to fight another Christian again. The pit bull will always win, but is it worth the stink? There are some battles that we get involved in that, that we're not supposed to. That's not, our, that's not our dog. We don't have a dog in the race. We're not supposed to be involved in that, but sometimes we get caught on side notes or side sidebars. Can anybody relate? And if you don't think people get caught up on sidebars, just watch Facebook for a day. I saw this morning as a husband, as a, as a bride and groom, we're headed down the aisle. How many saw that? The bride and groom, the, the bride had a beautiful long veil, and, and tied to her veil was their nine-month-old baby. Anybody? Or was it a one-month-old? One it was a one-month-old baby tied to the, and there was like 800 comments, and I got bored with the first 50, but it was like, what are you thinking? Hello? And so I commented. I'm sorry. I just, I, there were like 12,000 comments, but I, I wrote, stupid is, 
That's stupid does. You don't drag a baby on your wedding veil down the... I mean, hello. A anyway, I guess I've just... I, the point that I was making is if you get involved in Facebook, it could be war. People could write things about you. Don't want, you know what's so nice? There's a delete button that not only can you unfriend them, but you can block them. They'll never be your friend again. You can't read their posts. They can't read your posts, and you'll never see them trying to be your friend. I love that option on Facebook. Do have a friend in the house. If you go with me as quickly as you can to 2 Corinthians... The 11th chapter. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. I started to say, that's not, that's not what my Bible had to say. Don't you love the sound of pages rattling together? Verse 11, I hope. There it is. Let me, let me go, let me, let me move up just to verse 7. So the contrawise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. To this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgiving anything, I forgive also, for I forgave anything to whom I forgave it. For your sakes, forgive it I, it the person of Christ. That, did that confuse anybody? Was that not a very confusing? And the reason is verse 11, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's just bounce right over to uh, the, the Living Bible and see if there's any, any uh, sense in it. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of glory that excelleth. For that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Okay, you know, to me, even reading in the Living Bible, it makes absolutely no sense at all. So I wonder how many times the... Do I have a friend in the house? Is everybody here with me? I mean, I mean, I read this whole passage. I said, what in the world is Paul trying to say here that, that you would know and understand that the number, number probably two attack of the enemy in your life is the spirit of confusion, of confusion. We are, we are a confused generation. We are, we are a struggling generation. It seems like it's, like it's like bass fishing. Whatever bait is thrown out there, we grab it and hold on to it and believe it. And then once we get that teaching or thought in our spirit, it's there. How many have ever tried to get a barbed hook out of the jaw of a fish that was solid? solid? Has, anybody, has anybody ever not tried that? It's a hassle. Sometimes you're going to take needle nose pliers. Sometimes you're going to take, take a pair of pliers. When I caught the, how many saw my snapping turtle yesterday? People said, what happened to snapping turtle? I killed it. We have children that walk around the lake. They, 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 they wade in the water. I don't want something in there that could eat or hurt or harm, harm them. And that, that turtle tried to, hurt, he tried to hurt me. And he tried to hurt my bait. He, he, ate my, he ate my buzz bait. And I had to repair it. But I had to take a big old pair of channel locks and yank that, get that hook out. And then the turtle tried to bite Keith and I. And Keith and I tried to kill it. You know, I, I, I'm sure this is going somewhere. But you know what we did? We took a, we took a knife. No, we took a knife and tried to stab it. Then we took a, a tree saw and tried to cut it. None of that worked, so we took the Suburban and ran over it, and that solved the problem. The, what, what point are you making? I believe that some of us have got the hook of ignorance so deep in our jaw that some things that we actually believe to be true 
are hurtful or painful, and God wants to remove them, but you're going to have to go through some of the pain of removal. Do I have a friend in the house? If I have a friend in the house, if you go to me, 1 John 3 and 8, 1 John's all the, all the way back there by the book of Revelation. Again, I'll be reading from the King James Version. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I love that word destroy. I love that, 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 that God came, God sent his son to not just loose us and set us free, but destroy the works of the devil. First John, uh, 1 John 3 and 8, that word luo, destroy, means to untie or unloosen. If you look at Luke 3 and 16, the guys will put it up for you. John the Baptist says, He that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. That's the same Greek word there that simply means that God has sent Jesus into the world to set free the captive, to undo the heavy burdens and let the captive go free. Is anybody glad for that? Acts 10 and 38, how God hath anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. We talked about the four manifestations of the spirits. They're territorial, they're generational, they're familiar, and they're unclean. And it's usually an unclean spirit that operates in sickness and disease. But there were 39 strife for 39 diseases that we have been healed by the blood of Jesus, no matter what kind of generational or territorial or familiar curse in our life. I don't care if your great-grandpa died of cancer, your grandpa died of cancer, your dad died of cancer. In Jesus' name, you're not going to die of cancer because we're going to break that generational curse. I don't care if people have told you all your life you're just like your father. The blood of Jesus breaks that familiar spirit curse. I don't care, I don't care about that territorial, well, I grew up in this, I grew up in the barrio, I grew up on drug gang. I don't care where you grew up. There is a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. I don't care how sick you are. I don't care what the doctors have told you. What the doctors have told you is simply a fact. My mom had her test this week. She's cancer free. She is cancer free. She was a little frustrated about the fact that every six months, the doctor wants to do a chemo thing on her. And I said, Mom, the same doctor that told you you had cancer is now the same doctor that told you you don't have cancer, but now he's telling you to make sure you never have cancer again. To do this twice a year, it's a no-brainer. Hello? Say the, the, the doctor will tell you a fact, you've got cancer. That's the fact. The truth is the blood of Jesus is a healing, restoring power, and that cancer has to leave your body in the name of That's the way the Bible says it. That's the way that we preach it. Ironically, this past week, as the past several, several weeks prior to last week, Carmen was in the process of trying to find a place for David to have active community, a social life, friends. A lot of things happened, a lot of things taking place went through a lot of forums, went through a lot of rhetoric, made a lot of phone calls, talked to a lot of fake voices, hello, right. and, and, and went through all of that, trying to prepare a place for David to, to feel comfortable and happy and safe. 
when all the time God simultaneously was creating a place for David to stay. His, his own assisted living. Come on, do I have a friend in the house where the lion lays down with the lamb and there's no weeping, there's no sorrow, that he's healthy, he's whole, he's running, he's flying, he's doing everything a child would do in the presence of his father, brand new, never to die again. I would say completely healed, would you not? Completely restored in the presence of God. And we thank God for that. In Colossians 2 and 15, I don't hear your pages. Everybody loading? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Here we go. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 15. Let me go with verse 14. Blotting out the handwritings of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's what the liquid paper, the blood of Jesus, blotted out your transgression mistakes. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That's, talk, that's talking about when Jesus went to hell and took away the keys of hell and of death. The Bible says that he spoiled. That word spoil means to strip one's garments down to being naked. He took all the power away from the devil, took all the power away from demonic entities. He took all the power away from familiar and generational and territorial spirits. He now holds those keys and he's left the enemy desolate and powerless. But we like Flip Wilson... Give the devil all the credit. The devil made me do this. The devil made me do that. If you go to 1 John 5 and 4, let's look and see what your Bible says about that. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I believe it's, I, I believe, my personal opinion, I believe that we can shout and scream at the devil all day long. I believe that we can declare, we can write declarations down, that we can, we can, we can do whatever we want to go through the, through, the, through the method or go through the ritual of running demons and devils off. But I personally believe it's what you believe is what runs the enemy off. And that's called faith. What, you, what do you really believe? Are we really going to live forever? Were we a new creature when we gave our heart to God? Can we be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and operating in all the gifts and fruits of the Spirit? That is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And then, again, this message goes back to you need to know what God's Word has to say about your faith. Right. The word war or warfare is found five times in the New Testament, which I thought was kind of ironic. With all the seminars and all the tapes and all the books, I, I have over 18 books in one library that I've, that I've pilfered through the past several weeks that have to deal just with spiritual warfare. And what is so ironic, the word war or warfare is only found five times in the Bible. When I think about no matter what the enemy tries to bring war, God has given us gifts to overcome the power of the enemy in the area of government leadership. Does that help anybody in the building? If you will look at your hand. Everybody look at your hand. You have five fingers on your hand. Those five fingers represent the five gifts that God has given you. My, my, my gift is represented there. Pastor Ronna's gift is represented. Pastor Todd's gift is David's gift. Angel's gift. Uh, Keith's gift. All of our gifts are represented right here. Are you ready? This is the gift of the apostle. And the purpose of the apostle is for government. 
that we, that we, that, how many knows that a church needs to have government? How many knows if we don't have government, we're in trouble? How many knows if, if we didn't have a government here without police and all that, how many knows our nation would be in trouble? It's important that the government is upon his shoulders. It's important that he gave us the government, that he gave us the decree of the apostles. The purpose of the apostle is for government. The second finger on your hand is the pointing finger. That is the ministry of the prophet, and the purpose of the prophet is to guide. The, God, the, pro, the voice of the prophet will say, this is the way, walk ye in it. The voice of the prophet will say, don't do this, this will bite you, this will hurt you, this will harm you. Plant this, go here, do this. That's the reason that we have guidance in our life. The longest finger on my hand, I'll be very careful, represents the gift of the evangelist. And the evangelist's purpose is to gather. Everyone in this house is an evangelist that you're to go tell your story, tell your testimony, and know that God's going to put you in someone's life that desperately need what you have. They just don't know how to get it, and you're going to tell them how easy it is. The weakest finger on your hand represents my gift, and that is the gift of the pastor, and the purpose of the pastor is to guard. I'm to lay down my life for, the, for, your, for, the, for the, these sheep here. I'm to defend you. I'm to pray for you. I'm to teach you. I'm to nourish you. But most of all, I'm to guard you that no wolf or no fox or no, or no thief tries to come and take you in the wrong direction. The, the, the smallest finger on my hand, which is the only finger you're really supposed to stick into your ear, represents the teacher, and the purpose is to, of the teacher is to ground you. The word tells us if the, if the Bible has something to say, unless it has two or three other things to back it up, don't build a doctrine on just that one statement. Make sure, do you understand what Pastor's saying? Make sure there are two or three things that confirm it. The Bible says, by the mouth of two or three, let every word be established. And the word of God is saying something to you about a particular area of your life. Keep looking and you'll find one or two areas that will give you direction and will give you counsel. And that's the reason that we have the fivefold ministry. There are many denominations in this nation. There are denominations in the world that do not recognize the fivefold gift. There's simply the ministry of the pastor and the evangelist. And the evangelist only evangelist because he's not good enough to get a church to be a pastor. Thank you, Pastor Rod, for that courtesy lap. I appreciate that. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, if you go there very quickly with me. Are you enjoying working, working your Bible this morning? Yes. If you're in the car driving, I would not encourage you to get your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. Because you'll do what Angel did yesterday. First Corinthians 10. Verse 11. Okay, I'm not really sure why I picked that particular verse. Let me see if there's some kind of... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Now, all these things that happen to them for in samples, and they're written for our admonition upon the whom the ends of the world are come. The Bible tells us, Alex, in that scripture right there, that the stories of the Bible are not examples, but they're in samples. There, there are ways that we are to choose, ways we are to walk, because God gives us encouragement and enrichment by the deeds of others. We talked last Sunday about going to heaven and asking God to pull up the, the DVD to see David and Goliath. There's a reason why those battles are in the Bible. I want to talk about five battles. I want to talk about the Battle of Jericho. We know that the Battle of Jericho was a taken because of obedience. They told him to shut up in March on the seventh day. They declared the battle is the Lord's. The battle of Jehoshaphat, that battle was won because of the power of praise and the power of worship. We talk about David. David defeated Goliath because he, was, he had prepared himself for battle. 
We look at Samson. Samson was in battle because the power of God would come upon him and he would do great things. When you see the examples in the Old Testament concerning the New Testament, use of the parallel is one thing. Are you ready for it? Praise. Praise is the one weapon we have that brings victory and delivers us from the enemy. Do I have a friend in the house? 2 Corinthians 10 and 3. We were already there. I want to go back and I want to look at verse 3 through 5. Are the guys staying up with me? Are you doing pretty good? 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, and that word flex, that flesh there is soma, not sarks. There is a difference. The word soma means your literal flesh and blood, your, your, your physical capacities. The word sarks is the things you produce like jealousy or envy or wrath. So we walk, Paul says, we walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. And again, this is not a battle of hand grenades and machine guns. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Those strongholds are in our mind, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That word captivity in the Greek means to arrest someone, to put handcuffs on them. And here the word of God is telling us, although we are in a physical, physical container and we're seeing physical things, the battle that is coming against us is the battle of our mind. And in our mind, the enemy will try to establish strongholds or lies or deceptions. And it might be to the degree of the enemy may simply tell you, you're not going to get this job. You're not good enough for this job. Okay, that's, that's the enemy trying to depress and discourage you, speaking through your mind. But then in your spirit, you say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I have studied. I have prepared. I can do this job better than anybody else. And so you take that negative thought and you arrest it and you put it in handcuffs. And then you go call the interview again and say, hey, I want that job. I can make your company money. I can do good on that job. That's how the, the Lord wants us to arrest the bad and present the good. 1 Timothy 1 and 18. 1 Timothy is going to be somewhere right before 2 Timothy. Somewhere after Acts. Do you guys have it up there? Paul is telling Timothy to what? Somebody read it for me. The enemy has taken 1 Timothy out of my Bible. What's that all about? Steve, you got it in your Bible over there? Oh, here's, here's 2 Timothy. So somewhere close. We'll go to 2 Timothy in just a minute. Five times the word war, warfare is used in the Bible, but notice how it's used. 1 Timothy... 1 and 18. The, the, this charge, and I wish I could tell you the emphasis of that Greek word. I got, uh, who, who's ever been in a shoving competition? Shoving, a shoving competition? Where you shove and they shove back? Okay, this is that word. This is, a, this is, to, this is to keep shoving until you've shoved out. How's that? 1 and 18. Son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest war a good warfare. Two things that Paul is telling Timothy. Fight, first of all, the fight of faith. And second of all, be faithful to the call of God in your life. The call of God in your life are nudges, they're unctions, they're inclinations, they're, they're, they're feelings, they're, God will put something in your heart and spirit 
and you say, well, is it of God? Well, ask your wife to try to talk you out of it. and She can talk you out of it. It's probably not of God. That really was good counsel. I, I don't know if you thought I was teasing or whatever. That is very good counsel. Yeah, go ahead, give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. If you think God is telling you to do something with your life, your ministry, encourage your wife to be involved in, 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 the, in the plan. And if she has 81 reasons why you shouldn't, you probably shouldn't. Because God will, usually, God will usually speak more to the wife than he does to the husband. Is that terrible to say that? But it, but it usually works like that. The, the wife is usually pretty much more spiritual than the husband. I don't know why a woman is not inhibited by standing and lifting her hands and crying and getting makeup all over. But a guy, you know, we, we, gotta, we look in the mirror and practice praising God. Oh, yeah. You want to see which side? Look, you want to you have your shoulders square. You don't, you don't want to look sissy. You don't want to, you, you know... You don't want a little fee, you want to do a real fist. And, and so, <laughs> anyway, that didn't cost you anything. But 2 Timothy 2 and 4. Is anybody enjoying this today? Amen. 2 and 4. No man, again, we're looking at the word war or warfare. No man that warth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him, hath chosen him to be a soldier. Here's what the Paul is telling Timothy. Stay clear of the clutter. Stay single-minded because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And stay committed. Stay committed. Be clean of clutter. Be single-minded. Stay committed. Uh, we went to see X-Men uh, the other night. And uh, the one guy... I forgot his name, has the ability to read minds. And when he, when he goes and he begins, not Magneto, but the other guy. What's his name? Xavier? Xavier? Yes, Xavier. Okay, help, help me preach this one now if you guys have seen the movie. And so Xavier has this ability to, to read minds, like thousands of minds at a time. And the, and the minds got so confusing that he shut his gift down and decided he wanted to do that anymore, not realizing that that was the talent that Hollywood had given him to, to go along with this movie, to be the savior at the end of the movie. You, you've got to make sure there aren't a lot of voices speaking into your life. Wrong voices, wrong choices. Make sure the right voices are speaking. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Keep, the cl keep clear of the cl clutter. Keep clear of all the junk. Stay single-minded and stay focused and be, and be committed to the thing that God has called you to do. I think 90% 90 per 90 of most people that lose, they lose because they simply give up the day before they were going to get a breakthrough. Can anybody? I mean, there have been so many times in my life where I've just said, oh, well, I mean, this is, this is man, I've, I've prayed everything I know to pray. Help me. I've spoken everything I know to speak. I've declared. I got bumper stickers. I got. I got. I got notes on the mirror in my bathroom. I got notes on the on the dash of the car. And this ain't going to happen. I am just going to give up. Foot, whatever you want to say. And then all of a sudden, the next day, you get a phone call. Hey, dot dot dot. And you're going, wow. And the first thing I think of, Josh, I should have given up sooner. No, no, no. It's all a part. It's all a part of the journey. It's all about, it's like, it's like kind of funny because a guy, and again, we're talking about guys and girls, a guy, I mean, we can get a suntan, anything we're doing. My dear friend Mark Grissom made fun of my, my, my podcast that I didn't have my shirt on, but you've got to realize I was battling a turtle. 
And you cannot battle a turtle with clothes on. You've got to get right down there in the muck and the mire with the turtle. But anyway, I got a bunch of sun yesterday. Pastor Ron has got a chair sitting. If you come to our home right now, there's the porch and there's the beautiful garden. And there's this $4 Walmart chair sitting right on the step. And that's where she goes out. And re- but now in the backyard, there's the nice chair with all the garden and the fountain. I don't go, go figure. She's on the front yard getting the morning sun. Then she's on the backyard getting the, getting the back sun so that she can get. And, and the purpose is, is to get a little, a little color so she doesn't look like Casper. Well, that's the same thing about being in the presence of God. Every time you get in the presence of God, you become a little darker with God's glory. God's, and obviously, Desmond and Abeba have been in God's glory more than we have. However, I'm challenging their son. I'm almost about to win. That I'm, I'm about as glory bask as he is. Hello. Thanks for that courtesy laugh. In the book of James. James, Jude, Revelation. First and second, third John. This Bible has too many pages. Pastor Ron, where, oh, it's, for, it's after Hebrews, right? Oh, I saw Peter there a minute ago. I don't hear the pages rust, and you must be there already. Are you there already? What does James 4 and 1 say? Someone, someone read it to me. Okay, how many caught that? I love the King James. Okay, this is the fourth time we found the word war. And you notice that none of the references have to do with Satan. None of the references have to do with demons. Another reference has to do with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness, spiritual wickedness. Apollonon, Abanon, Lucifer, God of this world, God of the prince of the paradise. None of those have to do. They all have to do with us dealing with stuff in us. It's the war of the flesh. I got one guy here wants to do this. Then I got one guy here. That wants to do that. There was a movie where Steve Martin was like two people at the same time, and they were like fighting over his butt. All of me. How many saw that movie? Yeah. I didn't see it, but I, re- I, remember, I remember that he would be one guy one time, and then he'd be one guy. Oh, you know what? There was something even more famous than that, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So every one of us have a, the, Mr. Hyde was the bad guy, right? Okay. Every one of us have a, a little of Mr. Hyde. And I, I want to tell you, this week has been, has been so trying, so trying. I think, you know, Cleveland has so many conventions and so many seminars. I believe this week has been the seminar of the idiots. I really believe that idiots from all over our nation have invaded our city because I have, I've had people, I mean, the light has been green like a nanosecond. And some idiot behind me is laying on the horn. You, you know what I'd have done in the, in the, first of all, look at my mirror, see if I could whip him. You know what I'd have done? I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have went back, and I'd have, I would have had some words with him, and they wouldn't have been Greek or Hebrew or English or Spanish. They would have been sailor talk. I mean, I mean, I had someone completely, I had someone completely pull out in front of me and then flip me off, flip, and it's like, and you don't know, I mean, I mean, the Bible says don't let your left hand know what your right hand was doing. Well, being left-handed, I mean, I almost, but I did. I, I, I won that battle. But you know, when I look at, I look at little things I get irritated about. 
like Pastor Rhonda taking the remote upstairs instead of leaving it downstairs where it's supposed to get, can, any, can anybody relate? Or using all the half and half except for one sixteenth of a milligram, and she knows that I like a little coffee with my cream, those that know me. I mean, little, and you think, you, you think, you think that's funny. Well, those are silly things. They might be silly things, but you ever see how deep your mind gets in those silly things and how you start manifesting and your head spins around three times and you name your dog Damien and you're really strong? That's the war. Of, that's, that's the members. In my, that's the war that's, that's taking place. And, and, and you're single. It's a different, it's a different tech. But when you're married, there's, there's, just, there's just things in your life that you deal with. And it's like, it's like I am never going to get to a place where I'm not going to stop Dealing with road rage. Yes, yes, you will. I, I, I'm pleased to tell you, I did not flip them off. I did not go dry. I have literally, can I tell you what I did one time? Oh, my brother was in high school and I was in college and there was this bully messing with my brother. I went to pick him up one day and he said, there's a guy that's been hassling. The guy was in a little 64 Chevy. I stopped in the middle of the road in my 58 jacked up with big white tires and mags and wheels. Stopped dead in, went over to his car. He had no, I, he had no clue. He did not, know, did not know me. I reached in, grabbed his shirt, and drug him out of the car and put him on the ground and put my foot on his head. And I said, if you hurt my brother one more time, I'm going to kill you. Now, that's the flesh, okay? I should have... I should have drunk him out of the car, put my foot on his head and say, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation in this house. We're almost done. Not really, but we'll, we'll, bring it to a, we'll bring it to a closure. 1 Peter 2 and 11. Pastor Ronnie, you said you found 1 Peter. Where was it? Walt? Where is it? Oh, here it is. Right before uh, 2 Peter. My Bible has too many pages. First Peter 2, that's what happened to the three translations. Fifth time we find the word war. You ready? 2 and 11. Dear the beloved, look how precious Paul is addressing us. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. What is so crazy is that in a life that we're living and we're planted and we're established, he's wanting us to remember that we are pilgrims. A pilgrim is a person that blazes a new trail and that we are strangers. A stranger is one that is not comfortable with the things that are. And so we are, we are thrust into this world we're nurtured by this world. We're educated by the music and the films of this world. We got a phone call last night. Somebody wanted to know if we had some DVDs, and we do have some DVDs, and they want to know if we had any horror DVDs. Well, we don't have any horror DVDs, but if you are a Friday the 13th or a Halloween or a, or a, or a you, you get some of that stuff in your brain, hello? And, and it starts feeding, and all of a sudden you get an appetite for it. You start feeding for it. That's, that's the environment that we're in. And uh, I posted something. Very, most of you know I'm going to be a grandpa. I'm very proud of that. And uh, my grandbaby will hunt. They'll fish. They'll, they'll have a wide uh, perspective on music, and I don't intend to, um, you know, 
not let them listen to the to to the music. Got to be careful here. Anyway, I made I made some kind of statement that before my baby was five, she would know the words of the song uh, uh, "Joy to the World" or something. And I mean, on Facebook, I got like reminded that 30 years ago I used to travel around and preach against rock music and play it backwards and blah 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 blah. blah. And I and I, and so I told Pastor Ron. I said, "Well, I'm not I'm not 30. I'm not third anymore. I'm not." When I was a child, I spake as a child, and now that I'm a man. Well, anyway, that argument did not work with Pastor Rhonda. So we went and did the right thing. We removed the post from Facebook, and we just uh, in front of the guy that tried to correct me. After she kicked my butt, right? Oh, oh no, she kicked his butt. Because Facebook is not a tool you're supposed to beat up. or You're supposed to have fun with it. Hello, you're supposed to have fun with it. But can I tell you something? I don't want to play any games. And I don't care that you're dining at Old Charlie's with a little map and stuff. Don't, you know, keep, keep, keep that off my Facebook. Okay, 1 Peter 2 and 11. It's, it's, say this with me. There will always be a fleshly attempt to conquer and subdue the mind. See, if the enemy cannot conquer your mind, he'll try to subdue your mind. He will downplay. He'll make spiritual things not so important and physical things important. Isn't it ironic that, that uh, and I, I kind of I do this on purpose, I don't eat on Sunday morning. Uh, originally, I did not eat because I wanted to be hungry when I was preaching, so I would know you were hungry and know when it's time to stop preaching. When your stomach starts growling, I know some of you thought that's not the Holy Ghost, it's just the growling, it's time, it's time to shut down. But isn't it, isn't it funny that when you're hungry, your body will tell you, but when you're spiritually hungry, you don't get any buttons or no warnings, no, no, no bell, no. And you know what? It's like it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like when I grew up. And it's all important about when I grew up. But when I when I grew up, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night and Friday night, four times a week. And I think there was a Tuesday prayer meeting or something. So it was like it was like almost like every day of your life you were in church. You just run things with God. And then we eliminated Friday night, because that was football night, and we, the church, didn't want to take away from the football teams or hurt anybody's feelings, so we stopped having Friday night. And then Sunday night, we decided to make it family night, because that's really the only evening in the week all the families come together. So we made that family night. And then Wednesday night, well, that's, that's just for Bible studies, and, you know, I, I got to mow the lawn. I got to, hello. And then and the next thing you know, we're sitting at home watching TV on Sunday. <coughs> you see the digression there? You see what happens? And so what happens is your physical body says, hey, I need a pizza. Your spiritual body, if you're not feeding it, won't say anything. It won't. It gets real quiet on you. It gets real quiet. And before you know it, it's not that you backslid. You're not raping or murdering or, or drugging or, or, or you're not doing any of that. But it's like you've lost the things that have a zeal. For the things of God. Love God, love what God loves, hate what God hates. Uh, we, won't, we won't go. We actually have, how much time do we have? Okay, guys, let's go to the very last one. We'll bypass. Ah, I hate that, but here's what it is. Mark 4. Somebody tell me what time it is. 1220? As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. Thank you for this house. Thank you for the freedom to be myself in this house. Thank you for the freedom to feel your anointing, your presence through the teaching of the word.
Thank you. The past four weeks, I've not screamed, shouted, hollered, but I've simply given a solid foundation for where we're at. I brought ensembles and examples from the Word of God so that we can realize that we're not the only generation that, is, that has encountered the enemy. Let us learn some things today that we never forget. Let us know today that really greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That we don't really need a book or a counselor. We just need to do the right thing and we know what the right thing is. Bring people in our life that will encourage us, strengthen us, and build us up.